score! They score! Jacob Quillen has won the national championship for the Quinnipiac Bobcats! This episode, we're going to talk with Devin Markle about a healthy mind. Here to add his perspective to having a healthy mind is the captain of the national champion Bobcats, Zach Metza. Let's talk a little, and Zach, maybe you can take it as the leader of this, uh, Devin's role um, in, in what she brings to and from a, you know, a healthy mind standpoint uh, for the players for, um, well, she does it for all of all the teams but what is what does that mean from a from a hockey perspective I think in any sports it's maybe the most important thing that and probably the number one thing that goes overlooked a lot everyone you know gets in the gym and thinks about nutrition but no one's really ever working on their the mental side of the game on their brain and uh, she joined us last year two years ago when I was a senior and she's been awesome um, so like the team building stuff that she'll help us do at the beginning of the year uh, if you need anything else, like I went to her a bunch, um, even just throughout the year, just to talk through things. And uh, if anything, just to kind of clear my head and about what's going on um, and what I'm thinking, what just kind of bounce ideas off of her. Um, and it's so important, I think, for any sport, any athlete, and really any human just doing whatever, whether it's business or anything, like you got to work on the mental side, on controlling your thoughts and emotions and especially like when we get into big games like this and you're playing in front of 20,000 Tampa with a national championship on the line like you got to be in complete control of your mind and your emotions because if it gets away from you like you're you got nothing Uh, so Devin's been huge Um, it's it's tough to maybe I don't have a word to describe like at least for me she was um, so instrumental in uh, my last couple of years and the success that I've had um, and I'll probably probably continue to talk to her um, as I move forward in these next few years of my career and uh, yeah she's she's the best and now our conversation with Devin Markle Devin why don't you tell everybody what it is that you do Yes, so I am the clinical and sports psychology coach here at Quinnipiac University, Um, and I work with all 21 teams, so over 460 athletes, Um, and every sport's a little different, and obviously with the men's hockey team, we have worked very closely all year long in the last two years. And what makes you qualified to do what it is you do, and what's your origin story in terms Mm -hmm. of going back in your career? Yes, yeah, so I got interested in this as a D1 athlete myself. I played lacrosse at University of Vermont, um, and that's where I realized, oh, there's a whole mental side to the game, right? You know, I used to be an all-star, played every minute, every game, went to a D1 school as a walk-on, had a nice spot on the left bench. Um, so I think for me it was like, wait, there are some other components I can train. And from there I got really interested in sports psychology, was introduced to it there. Um, went on to Boston University for my master's in sports psychology and counseling, and then followed that with my uh, doctorate in clinical psychology. So I have a unique kind of role in the sports side of performance, but also a lot of training on the mental health side. Um, So here in Connecticut, I'm a licensed professional counselor. That's my title here. Um, And yeah, combining the both worlds I think is important because it's no longer one or the other in life 
doesn't stay on or off the court or on and off the ice. So So talking a little bit about previous job experiences, you've had some high level uh, work that you've done. Yes, after I graduated from Boston University, I moved out to California, was done with the cold weather, so it took a little break out there. And I was really fortunate enough to start my own private practice. And within three years, um, we were approached by Sports Academy to join as their directors of mindset development, me and my business partner. Um, And then within a few years being there, Kobe Bryant joined our team and took over as Mamba Sports Academy. So we were a 100,000 square foot facility. Um, We had everything. It really was like a university, quite frankly. We had sports medicine, mindset development. We had a gaming studio for professional gamers, um, two indoor sand volleyball courts, two NBA courts. I mean, you name it, we had it. And my job there was working with everyone from our athletes who were, you know, five years old (laughs) all the way up to my pro athletes. And a big focus was really working with agencies with uh, NBA and NFL pre-draft. So I would train those guys. They would be with us for about eight weeks. Um, and what does training look like when you say you train those guys? Yeah, so we would do a lot of workshops and workshops are small group training. So how do you prepare, especially you know the NFL draft, I always say in the combine, you know, your bench press, your, you know. <laughs> your speed all of a sudden that's that's part of your draft lottery pretty much so with that we would train pre-performance routines how to stay calm how to use your breathing how to stay focused especially for that i think it's a unique task is that you're not actually playing your sport <laughs> right, so right, you're, you're performing doing, all these other functions that you would things. never do normally. Right, but. so they might have a pregame routine, but now they've never done just these tasks. So um, that was a big portion, and actually interview training was a big portion. So I would prep all of those guys with mock interviews. You know, I joked with with a couple of our NBA draft um, athletes, for example, were pretty young. So they've never had a real job. This might have been their first interview in front of the entire front office. Um, so really helping them with that adjustment and then preparing them to for the grind, especially the MBA. You know, one thing all of my MBA guys came back and said was that first year, that rookie season was long. They were like, we thought the college season was long. This was almost, you know, yes. two and a half Got, yes, times yeah, right. as 30 long. 30 games to 82, exactly. depending on playoffs and so forth. Right? So I think that's a big mental portion, too, is how do I stay focused? How do I stay ready? Um, and we had a really, really robust training. We even brought people in to do financial training for those guys. So our days were long. They'd be on the court, on the field, then an hour with me, then an hour individually if they wanted. Um, and the individual component did a lot of times incorporate the mental health side as well. Some, you know, some people had to navigate how to tell their background stories, what they've been through. Now with publicity, how do I tell that? So that was an interesting component. So if I follow this so far, we're Vermont, BU, California, Hamden. Yes. And a little Atlanta, Georgia for a year a in there. Little, <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia in the middle. All right. So... How do you end up back here, and and why? Yeah, well, I grew up here. Okay. So I'm from right down the road. So I actually used to come to 
basketball and hockey games. I think I was in high school when they built York Hill. So grew up definitely a fan of it. And during the pandemic, like everyone, went through a little bit of a hard time being 3,000 miles away from family. So made the decision to come back and I always say success is a little bit of luck <laughs> and a little bit of hard work and seeking things out. So with a little bit of luck, I was fortunate enough that someone reached out and was like, do you know that Quinnipiac has this opening for a sports psychologist? And quite frankly, I was shocked that, you know, I had been here for two months trying to figure out, do I open a private practice again? What do I do? And came here and it all worked out. <laughs> hard to leave the level though that you were at in terms of like, I mean, you're talking about the the highest level athletes, and, and not that Quinnipiac does. I mean, we'll get into the men's hockey in the mm-hmm. program in a second. But I mean, those folks are at you know, they're well compensated. They're they're well trained by the best, the absolute best of the best. Um, and family drew you back. Yeah, definitely, family drew me back. And I think one thing that I learned from the pre-draft work was that I really liked the college age. Um, you know, yeah, great athletes. I mean, Justin Herbert was one of our draft class guys, and I always say uh, he's one of the hardest working athletes. I had to drive from LA to Orange County, if anyone knows that traffic, it's a long drive, but he would ask, can we please do this in the morning? So I'd leave my house at like 4 a.m. to get to him at 6 a.m. So, but what I learned was they're so eager to continue to grow. So some of the high athletes, you know, it's great, but I think they can get a little complicit, complacent with that. So I think what was great about that, I just like the energy. So coming to university was very appealing. Yeah, but when you've got an athlete that really wants and is asking, mm-hmm. I mean. Makes my job it, easy. It doesn't get much better than that, <laughs> right? Like there's no tugging and pulling and trying to get them to maybe understand or help. Mm-hmm. Or, no, that's, that's great. That's a great story about Justin. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, men's hockey team. Yes. So your first engagement with the men's hockey team is? Um, well, usually we start off at the beginning of the school year just doing an introduction. Um, you know, I think uh, Rand jokes with me that that first time he had the captain's report back to him, how it went and what he thought. Um, but I have to say this coaching staff's great that way. They let me have full reign with the team. So um, one thing I do say in the team workshops is there will be some I have coaches in, but a lot of times it's just me and the team. And I want the coaches to be able to focus on coaching and I, you know, bring back any messages or themes that I need to. Um, so that's how we set it up with this team is that, you know, we meet as a team, we do the team workshops, and then anyone who wants to continue deep diving into their own personal journey, then we do it individually. So I think, you know, this is the end of my second year here. So my first year last year, Right away, the the team was great. They they had been introduced to sports psychology before, so it wasn't something totally new. I think they were just hungry to have access to it so often because they would have maybe one or two, you know, sessions a year with some other people coming in or zooming. <laughs> and they essentially, so you go in, you start, you do an introduction, and you kind of introduce yourself and get things rolling, and then the captains take over kind of from there. Yeah, with this team, that's how it works. Um, I think that's the beauty of having a little bit more maturity and some older 
uh, fifth years, for example. They reach out, they organize it, the captains set up all the team meetings, usually from even in summer two, so starting next week, we'll get them back in here. Um, so summer two is our July and August. We'll check in here and there, but really when they come back in September to November is really the bulk of our team workshops. So those will be one hour. Um, they what, what do those focus on? Yeah, so anything that we kind of address as needs. This year, the team asked to redo one of the workshops from last year, which was core values, which I think is great. You know, the coaching staff instills some core values, but the guys really wanted to focus on what's our identity as a team. And so one for them that has lasted both years has been family. Um, I give them a deck of over, I think it's 65 core values. Um, we split them up into class, too, because I want to make sure that, you know, the fifth years and seniors aren't just telling the younger guys. I want it to be genuine. And it was really interesting. They narrow it down to 10, then to 5, then to 3. And we only had to vote on the last one, I think. Other than that, it overlapped. So that also shows the culture that's instilled here and the new guys jump on board real fast. So that's one. Pre-game routines we talk a lot about. I think that's so important, especially in this sport. Let's drill down there for a second. Yeah. Let me for a second. Like pre-game routines, what is it that, that A, that you're talking about and B, perhaps that they're looking for? Yeah, I think one thing that I want them to take away is that it's hard on a team of this size that, you know, we don't have to have the same routine. All of us don't have to sit in our stall and have headphones on. Someone might be bopping around the locker room. I don't know. But we have to time it right. So I think the myth about it is that my pregame routine is the hour before I get on the ice. We really start the night before. What does that look like? These guys love to watch film, and I love that, but I tell them, please do not watch film at 10 p.m. on a Thursday night because you're never going to go to sleep. So we've had to really learn good, healthy habits like that. What does my sleep hygiene look like? Napping. Some guys love to nap on, you know, especially on a Friday night game at 7. They want to nap. Okay, I'm fine with that, but let's time it out so that your energy is at its peak at 7 p.m., and that's something we talk about too, healthy habits all week long, because when we play at 7 p.m. and then maybe 5 on the next day, the rotation doesn't work great. So we really look for consistency. And other pregame things, you know, they do things as a team and have their their rituals. I always yell at them for superstitions. Um, they love that. Um, but I'll to tell me, you one of the superstitions off uh, air that we learned about the other day from. Uh, <laughs> One of the players, but go ahead. Uh, I, yeah, some of them I'm not a fan of. But I tell them superstitions are giving all of your training, all of your power up to, you know, the left sock or your lucky underwear. So let's do things that are in our control, right? So that's a big one that we really spend a lot of time with, especially this past year we had a lot of younger guys join the team. So we had to reiterate that and what those healthy habits are. So when you talk about, uh, again, drill down even further, mm -hmm. when you talk about you don't watching, want them watching video at 10 o'clock, is that because your understanding, and I, this could be dead wrong and we can mm -hmm. delete it if it's not <laughs> accurate, but is the reason you don't want them watching video at 10 o'clock is because their brains will start going in a direction that you don't want them to go? Yes, there's two things. One, they either get really energized when we're trying to calm down, or they will replay 
possibly negative, you know, thoughts and anxiety thoughts. So really I drill that down to also, again, in our pregame routine. Then maybe in the morning of a game, we're watching film, but we're going to be really selective on what clips we're watching. I want to reiterate positive images, aggressiveness, chasing the puck. We're not going to go over practice where we made this error. That's for a different time. Um, so we're really intentional about every way we're training and what those images are. And yeah, some of it's also just like the highlight reel. I tell them that's great, but don't don't do that at 10 p.m. I want you to be having calmer thoughts. So we also do a workshop on mindfulness and breathing, you know, being very present-minded, relaxation, so that a lot of them can be able to get sleep. One thing this year, for example, with sleep that we worked a lot on is post-Friday night games. Coming off of a good win, you're running that high. How do you settle down to turn around within, you know, the next... <laughs> really 12, 15 hours, um, where other sports on campus, you know, might have three, four days to recover. So that's what's really unique about this sport. Um, so we actually started something where post game, they would turn the lights off in the locker room to start to decompress instead of just going from, you know, 100 to zero. Do would an athlete come to you and say, hey, I'm having issues sleeping or I'm having issues um, trying to relax or be ready for a game or what? They will come to you and, and have that conversation with you. Yes. Yeah. I think that's one thing we established on this team, too, is that there's trust both ways. So I've heard probably every concern under the sun. Um, but, yeah, this year that was an interesting one that came up a lot. And when I start to see trends like that, then we just organized a team meeting. So, you know, because maybe for the 10 that come to me, there's one who doesn't even understand that that is a concern. Um, so, again, the captains were great, the seniors and fifth years with scheduling a workshop that we just went over. Hey, what's our plan for sleep? What can we do as a team? And that's when they all agreed that let's turn the lights off. Let's do cool down in here, really start to slow down the body, slow down the mind. You have to think about it too, our rink is very bright. Our locker room is very bright compared to others. Um, and with that, then they're not producing any melatonin. So the sleep, we're just on a whole <laughs> downwards shift for timing of sleep. And getting them to understand that, right, has got to be critical because it's not just Devon walking in there and saying it. It's like, yeah, some of the folks are having some, you know, they want to sleep better. They want to mm -hmm. be they're highly tuned athletes that want to perform at their mm -hmm. best. And if these little things are <laughs> dialed off a little bit, it has an impact. Exactly. And I think that's where we've had great buy-in of do the little things right. And I always say small changes, big rewards. So we're not going in there and if you fall asleep at 3 a.m., okay, we'll deal with that. You've played games like that before. But if we can get some consistency to you know, have most of our nights falling asleep by you know, 12 or one, then we're in a much better place for success. So let's go to the differential between the ECAC season and let's just take the first two games of the NCAA tournament where there's a day in between and they're closer, in, they're in Connecticut at that particular point because mm -hmm. they're playing at Bridgeport. How, how are those two things different from a mental health perspective? You know, one thing we try to talk about all year long is don't make them different because I don't want all of a sudden for us to get to playoffs and it be this big, you know, 
worrisome time or, oh my gosh, we're changing, we're traveling here, we're going to Tampa or we're going to, you know, Merrimack or we're playing in Bridgeport and we haven't played there. So that was one of our goals with having routines and consistency all year long was if we do it right now, we'll do it again there and it will pay off. And, you know, um, I was fortunate enough in California to meet Wayne Gretzky and I always say that he says he's been to the Stanley Cup Finals 1,000 times <laughs> and yes, he's been there a ton, but he visualizes it. He trained the same way so that it wasn't, you know, a, of course it's exciting and it's fun, but it didn't have extra pressure that it didn't already need. And I tell the guys that all the time. We know there's innate pressure in these games. That's a good thing. It means we want it, so let's not treat it differently. So I think when we have healthy habits that we could travel five minutes down the road to Yale or three hours, there's no real difference in how they're mentally preparing. And does your work overlap with nutrition as well? Yeah, so I work a lot with Dana White. She's excellent. Um, And we've done some workshops together, and we always tell the athletes that, you know, those habits are the same thing. Sleep, mental, what you put in your body and nutrition also fuels you mentally so that your body, you know, I always tell them, all those good feel-good hormones don't just come from your brain. They have to start in your gut, so it starts with what you're eating. Um, so Dana and I work really closely together, and it's it's been great that way. And I think, you know, when she sees things or hears things from certain athletes, then she recommends me and vice versa. And I'm like, hey, you're working so hard on this. Let's get an even bigger edge. You know, let's really work on, on your diet. Then they love that. And I think these this team in particular has been, you know, really excited for anything to get that edge. And how about disappointment? So let's take the Colgate game (laughs) on the road up at Lake Placid. Uh, I think there were high expectations, right? In terms of, I mean, they they finished number one in the ECAC for the regular season, but Lake Placid seems to be a place that (laughs) just is not very friendly to Quinnipiac, but that's all right. It's a wonderful town. It's a, (laughs) I I was there, it's wonderful. long uh, long journey to get through the little woods there to get to that little town um, but there's disappointment that comes very suddenly with a loss in double overtime mm-hmm. and I think one of the things that the team realized and it was almost very good for us to realize was we did treat that game differently we put so much pressure on the outcome and we talked about this after it is that especially for those seniors in fifth years with the history there, they were so focused on the outcome that they were very honest. They said, sometimes I don't know if in that game we were in that play. And then all of a sudden the panic of, oh gosh, now we're going into overtime now, right? Um, And so we reflected, we worked through that and and all of them will say it was almost, you know, we never want to lose. We're very competitive here, but sometimes there are learning losses, and that was one where I think it really set them up for success in the NCAA tournament because we said we are going to go period by period, play by play, and I think it showed in their play after that the way they were so aggressive from the get-go. <laughs> and so what happens to the what happens to the brain when at that particular moment you ex- you experience such disappointment? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think disappointment's one of those, it's a heartache, right? Especially for an athlete, there's nothing worse than disappointment. Um, But I think one thing that you have to focus on is the opposite side of that, which is resilience. What do we have to rebound from this? And so that's why I think we we did a good job of addressing that really quickly. You can be disappointed, and I tell even athletes after, you know, 
a regular season loss, right? You have till 7 p.m. tonight to be mad, sad, disappointed, and then we move on. Um, and so I think this team handled it with grace that way. I think it will be one of those unfortunate games that will stick with especially our fifth years for quite some time. But they got the big win, and that that is also what we talked about, right, is yes, would that have been nice? Of course. But, I mean, the next day they got back, they were right in my office, and we were already talking about, about NCAA playoffs. So, yeah, with disappointment, I think it's about putting those those boundaries on it where it can't take over the brain and it can't get you into that spiral, as I call it, the downward spiral, right, of should have, could have, would have. Oh, what was me. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. You know, what can we control? What can we change? And we were fortunate that it happened then and we did have more games. Um, but again, I think that's why we train this way all year so that we can have those tools when we need them in the toolbox to rebound from the disappointment. Michigan win. It's got to be about 11 30 12 o'clock at night it was a late <laughs> game that night the absolute opposite of what had happened in the ec championship is happening um you know we haven't got to the minnesota game yet but what at, at that particular moment things are crazy i guess it's probably <laughs> I, I hesitate to use that word for you but i mean they are just like buzzing yeah yeah they're buzzing, <laughs> they're that's, buzzing. A, they're, that's a great word boys are buzzing the boys are buzzing Yep. So what's that like? Um, this team was very set on that was part one. The job was not over. So I think, yes, it was exciting. It was great. But again, they were exhausted, <laughs> um, which was a good thing because we got back to the hotel and everyone was able to crash. But one of the things even the night before that game, I think I saw 14 um, individuals so we actually set up one of the conference rooms to be my makeshift office for the trip and I would say all 14 guys that's all they were focused on is get tomorrow's job done then go to sleep rest recover and then we have part two so the excitement was great um, but I think they were they were not there for just one win <laughs> what that really speaks to is the sense of commitment and how they you know, those 14 or whatever the number was, <laughs> student athletes r- want something so deeply mm-hmm. that they are willing to do whatever it takes to get to that step. Whether Because all of your work is off ice, right? You're mm-hmm. not talking about a face-off. You're no. not talking <laughs> about any of that. You're talking about getting the athlete to be in a state of mind to perform at its, his highest level. Mm-hmm. That's remarkable yes they are relentless in in their pursuit of excellence that way and I think that was something that was everyone was even asking me are you stress carrying their stress and I was like there's just this calmness about the team right now that it really was one of those true beliefs I can't really even explain it for myself quite frankly that I was like I just no, we're going to win. Um, and I kept telling the guys, you know, that's how we're going to talk because we're going to, you know, put it out there. But you do have to truly believe it to be able to do that. And I think they believed in all of the film sessions, all of the strength and conditioning, nutrition, mindset. They believed that that would get them there. Is a lot of your work positive reinforcement? Yes. And I, but at the same time, I always say I'm not rainbows and butterflies. Right. It's, it's more you know, realistic, um, 
one of even the way we were talking about self-talk going into both of those games was, hey, the crowd is going to be exponentially louder, crazier than we've ever experienced. You're going to be nervous. Okay. So instead of saying, I'm not nervous, (laughs) I'm nervous. I can use this energy as energy and I'm still confident and now I'm going to go out there and play well. So so we really work on that too and I think that was a big one when we were in Tampa those last, you know, those little last minute sessions were really about what's different here too. I mean, that arena is amazing, but it's big and it's loud and chaotic. Um so that was one thing we prepped for too. But yeah, the excitement was great, but they really were on to the next job. We got more to do. <laughs> Let's refocus. So what happens to the brain when you win three to two in <laughs> overtime <laughs> against the number one team in the country, full of NHL future stars? I mean, what happens at that point? Yeah, I think it's just pure adrenaline at that point. <laughs> there's, there's no clinical diagnosis. There's no, no, not at all. It's just adrenaline. Uh, yeah, and I think I think that's part of it too, right? Is like that's what we love about sports, though, right? It just it really just elicits so much energy. I mean, even sitting there, it's energy. You know, people were laughing at me sitting in the stands. They're like, "You looked focused. <laughs> you weren't like cheering." I was like, "Because I could like." feel that focus and then after it's just pure elation i guess (laughs) oh i think pure elation is probably uh deadly accurate on that one um and so you were at the game yes so what happened to you when it was three to two um you know, like I said, I mean, I you just, work with these kids. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is different than myself as an alum and who's worked right. here in the whole nine yards. <laughs> you have actually worked with all of these individuals. Again, I think I was so confident in them because they had put so much work in. But sometimes I do feel almost like a mama bear. Like, I know how bad they want it, that I want it for them, not for anyone else, but just how hard they've want, worked and had it. And, and I think that's also the uniqueness of my job of not just sports performance, but the mental side. You know, I have a very, I always say I'm very fortunate. I feel privileged that they let me into that aspect of their life. So I know some of their personal challenges, you know, losing loved ones over the course of the year and, you know, relationships and the ins and outs and mental health. And so that even adds another component. I'm like, I want it so bad for them because they want it so bad. So I think it's, it's relief at that point, but but also just I know how deserving this group was. So is there, as they head into the new season, mm-hmm. is there a component of you've let yourself mentally absorb everything, all the admiration, all the other thing, and now we have to switch to a different channel? And yeah. have you thought about how you're going to present that to the team? Yeah. I mean, when, when I say this to every team when I go back to, you know, it's, Zero zero. <laughs> Everyone's undefeated, and now we have to go back to work. And um, you know, even when they announced the new captains, it was great. Those guys already sat down with me before we left in May, so they're already on to the next season. And I think that's really important too. We want to embrace this. We don't want to lose this excitement, but everyone's going to be hungry for it just like we were so that's something we've already talked about is how do we you know keep that confidence 
but also we have a lot of change. We lost a lot of our, our upperclassmen, so that's good and bad. You know, we have opportunities to grow in ways we didn't. Um, so that's something we're already setting out is, you know, again, back to basics, establishing our new core values because this is a new team dynamic than we had last year. Um, and just small goals and, again, the process. We can't even get back there until we get game one under our belt. We can't get to game one and win that game until we have preseason, right? And we can't get to preseason until we do our work over summer and train. Um, so right now, a lot of the guys went home with summer plans just like that. And the way I work with goals is seven-day player plans. That's all you're going to focus on is seven days at a time. Otherwise, we start to get lost. We lose our measurements. We lose our mental edge. So we do want to keep it fun and exciting and enjoyable because this is a hell of a long year for these kids, you know, and I think people forget sometimes they're playing this many games and training. They still also have school and a social life. And that's where I think working with this age group is so unique and special, you know. I would say working with pros is easy. That's all they have to focus on. <laughs> right. There's nothing. I mean, mm -hmm. they may have family issues or whatever exactly, the case may be, but, but they, they don't, don't have another full-time job, right, which right. is academics. And, right, right. Yeah. And especially at a school like this, right? We have high academic, you know, expectations. So. The ho hockey team's GPA was 3.69, which is the highest of all the men's sports here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And we had, I don't even know how many in the their second master's program. So, right. you know, I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind is that they have multiple full-time jobs here. <laughs> they certainly do. <laughs> uh, what else? Do you get anything else that's, uh, that you want to talk about? I think it's just important that people understand that, exactly that, the demands of, of these kids. And especially, I think, coming out of COVID, especially for these last few classes, um, I'm excited to welcome some classes that weren't here during that, but that's also a unique thing that these guys trained so hard during that and barely got a season, or possibly two. And, you know, people were like, oh, well, you have, you have maturity, you have, yeah, that means they grinded for that many more years at this level. And that takes a mental toll. In your last two years, and you don't have to say the name because I won't, I won't ask you to say <laughs> the name, but can you think of a player who has really, from when you started to where you are today, has been a remarkable turnaround. Yes, I have quite a few actually on that team, and I think. And what's is there a is there a a bright line? Is there something there that they all kind of connect with? Yeah, I think that for all of them, it was that they put in the work to get the reward, and I think that their work all looked different. That's why I can say there's a few of them. And their journey looked different. You know, some of them really dealt with some really hard tragedies. Others had injuries. You know, I think that's the other thing people don't think about. They don't see behind the scenes when, you know, I have 22-year-old men really upset in my office, like rightfully so. Um, so some of them have fought through that. And that's, I think, again, I will praise these kids because when that setback and they couldn't be in the gym as many hours with Coach B, they'd use that time and come up to my office for an extra individual that week and really focus on, all right, what are my goals and how can I get back to this? So, yeah, I think this team has several um, several guys in mind, whether it's you know a couple of the first years who really had to adapt and learn our systems, which is a big task. 
um, other guys, like I said, with injury or their personal journey. So I think there's quite a few. And, and I'm just grateful that they do trust and buy into it because that, like I said, makes my job easy. I always say sports, like, you know, the concept is not very complicated, but it's one of those things that's hard to do and put into practice. Oh, that sounds good. I'll read a book or I'll do visualization or yeah, I'll, I'll follow this routine. But to do it day in and day out and also continue to change it and grow for, like I said, from September to <laughs> the end of April. <laughs> Devin, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Devin Markle. On the next podcast, we have Coach B, the strength and conditioning coach at Quinnipiac University. Special thanks to our guest, Devin Markle, an assist from Zach Metza. Our production crew is Justin Morosky, who was our producer and audio engineer. David DeRoche handled the audio mastering. Jillian Catalano is our social media coordinator. I'm Keith Woodward, and I'm your host. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the 10th second and also follow the podcast account at QU Podcasts. And thanks again for joining us on this episode.